you know, reimagine your relationship with failure because we're just trained that failure is bad and that's just not true. Like you will grow 10 times more in failure than you will in success. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Hey everybody, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. We got a great episode for you today, but before we get started, I wanted to remind you that if you'd like to become a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. It's five bucks a month. It gets you access to a lot of extra content and uh, just think of it as buying the show a couple coffees every month, a little way to give back. So we'd really appreciate if you took that step. Uh, if you're already a patron, thank you. If you're not, consider it. Thanks. All right, so welcome to the show. Today we have an awesome guest, uh, Josh Sanders, who lives in Michigan. But this summer he did an incredible feat. But before we get started, um, let's just welcome Josh, and then he'll tell us all about his experiences and, and what, what he's got going on in the future. So, Josh, thanks for being on the show. Howdy. Glad to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So um, there was a pretty obvious thing that you did that I was like, we've got to have this guy. We've got to interview him. Could you tell the listeners about what that was and what you did this summer? Uh, sure. So I've had this dream of seeing how many 14ers I can climb in one day. Uh, generally speaking, uh, you know, climbing is something I enjoy. And I, I figured out you know, many years ago that the faster I climb, the more mountains I can get in a single day, the more I can actually see when I'm out there. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so I was looking around and I, I saw that Eric Lee had done nine in a day and I'm like, you know what, L- let's try to come up with a plan for 10. Um, so yeah, we, we went out there. I acclimated, uh, for a few days, did a little bit of scouting and then, uh, we knocked out 10 in 23 and a half hours. Jeez, that is so awesome. I know it's a feat and I know people try to do this. But, you know, it's it's incredibly challenging because, you know, these things, especially when you're coming from where you're from, much lower elevation, it can really throw somebody off who's been training for a while, who wants to come out here. And just in case you're new to the show, uh, we use the term 14er a lot, and that's basically any mountain between 14,000 and 14,999 feet. But, you know, there's none in the contiguous U.S. over 15. So the biggest mountains in the States other than Alaska, of course, are the 14ers. And Colorado has, depending on how you look at them, 54 to 58 of them. And Josh here climbed 10, you said, in under 24 hours? Yeah, I did 10 and then Mount Cameron as well. But uh, Cameron, poor Cameron, lacks the prominence. So we <laughs> climb her, and I, I like to give her like a shout-out, like, hey, this mountain exists, it's named, right. but uh, it's more of a sub-peak. Uh, of Mount Lincoln. So, so I say 10, some people might say 11. It's all good. It's yeah. all for fun. Yeah, man, I've done, I've done that little loop there before in Cameron. It's crazy how some of these mountains are so difficult. Like I've climbed probably 20 of them now. And dude, some of them are just like, you know, hands are sweating, knees shaking. And then others are like Cameron where it's like a football field up there. There were people in lawn chairs. And I mean, it's crazy how, how just, rounded the top is and it feels like there's 20 acres up there you could just kind of walk around on because it's so flat 
Yeah, it really is. If, if there weren't a pile of rocks somewhere, I don't even know where the actual true summit would be because it's so flat and nice. And what's interesting is there's the, uh, the, the kind of approach up is you've got a, a climb from the saddle of Democrat up to Cameron. Mm-hmm. So you have to work really hard to get up to Cameron. But then if you're going by prominence, it doesn't count. And then you just kind of meander over to Lincoln and then, you know, do like a hundred feet up to Lincoln. So it's, yeah, yeah poor Cameron. <laughs> Oh, well, but it is a good, it is a fun mountain to climb and you can climb like what, four in a day right there that are pretty easy to get to. Yeah, exactly. Yep. What gave you the idea to go after so many in a day rather than like a more extended type of adventure? Sure. So I originally got into mountain climbing and and ultra sports by complete accident. Um, I, I had worked really hard in my 20s, started a small business, sold it, and then bought some restaurants kind of as a flip. Um, and, and it was just really difficult work, you know, taking up, you know, 60, 70, 80 hour weeks, just kind of getting burned out. Um, and it was fun and it was a learning experience, but really I just started to realize like this isn't worth it. Um, so when I sold out of that, that restaurant business, uh, I had to do something like I had enough money, uh, from the sale to go, you know, get my, uh, graduate degree, um, and, and I just wanted to get back into nature. Like I, I grew up in the outdoors, loved it and just kind of got away from it. So I went and I, I wanted to hike out in North Carolina where I was at the time, uh, and found Mount Mitchell. So if I'm going to hike something, you know, you may as well hike, you know, the tallest, you know, that, that just makes sense. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I went up there and, and it was so fun, loved it and accidentally discovered the sport of high pointing, uh, the highest States. <clears throat> Um, so natural, and this is a very Josh thing to think is I was like, okay, cool. This is fun. I want to do all of them. And if I'm going to do all of them and most people take five to 10 years to do it, well, that, that sounds like way too long. So maybe I should just do them all like really quickly all in a row and then just get them all done. Cause that sounds mm-hmm. way more fun to me. Uh, and then I stumbled across that there was a speed record for this and, and being a logistics kind of guy. Uh, I figured out a plan to do them in 21 days, breaking the record of 23 and a half. Um, so I, I just went out there. I mean, it was kind of ridiculous. I had never put crampons on um, until I got to Mount Hood scouting like a few weeks before the attempt, figuring, well, I'll, I'll learn in a hurry if I just go up hood in these, uh, which might not be the best mountaineering advice. I don't rec- <laughs> like don't try this at home. Like right. you should probably learn a different way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just, I decided I had this goal. I was going to do it. I was going to teach myself, you know, how to, you know, do glaciers and, um, just kind of get in shape and figure out how to do the approaches. So, um, it worked really well. Like I, I had a good plan. We ended up, uh, high pointing the entire lower 48 in 19 days, um, like just over 19 days. So once I, I set that record, it was like, well, what do I do next? Um, you know, that, that was fun, obviously kind of hit a home run in the first time it gets addicting. And, you know, I, I wanted to get out there, but I needed a new, a new goal. So interesting story. I I actually finished with the highest mountain of Maine, which is Katahdin, uh, which also happens to be the Northern terminus of the Appalachian trail. So when Scott Jurek broke the AT record FKT, um, that was actually about an hour before I got to the top to break the high pointing record. So just complete coincidence. I didn't know who he was. I was not an ultra runner at the time or even close to it. Um, and on the way down, talking with Scott, who's just one of the nicest humans you'll ever meet, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of joked like, hey, you know, don't break my record because obviously you could in two seconds if you wanted to. And then he, you know, very graciously joked, you know, don't break mine. And I'm like, huh, 
maybe I will. So, you know, long story short, that just kind of got me into like the addiction of FKTs. And, you know, really for me, it's about experiencing as many places as I can. Uh, and if you go faster, you can go to more of them. And it just kind of feeds off wow. that competitive side and just wanting to be out there. And, and so long story short, um, well, actually, I guess at this point, long story made somewhat long. Um, you know, Killian has his seven summits of his life. So I thought it'd be fun to come up with like the 10 trails of my life where there's going to be 10 things. And even if I have no chance, you know, I'm still going to like, just try to see how fast I can do these things, FKT or not. Uh, and that's how the idea of 10 14ers came up is, you know, there, I, I figured, you know, the record for all 58 is ridiculous. Um, you know, while it'd be fun to go after at some point, I've kind of considered maybe the unsupported one. Um, you know, 10 and a day just kind of sounded more like something that would be an entry level one mm-hmm. before trying to bite off the bigger ones. That's so yeah, it was just, uh, yeah. yeah. So just a random thought of, uh, and plus just an excuse to get out to Colorado more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see that you come out here quite a bit, you know, even being from the Midwest, it, uh, you, you make your way out here pretty often. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing with, uh, I've got two little boys at home. Mm. Uh, you know, so obviously I don't want to leave for a long time. Um, you know, putting the family in a tough spot. Um, so what I, what I found is there's a 7am flight out of Detroit direct to Denver that lands eight local time. And then there's a flight back at 7pm Denver time that gets back by midnight. Uh, so I usually can rent a car and then get out to, you know, graze Tories, beer stack quandary, you know, and I'll have four to five hours to climb. Uh, so yeah, so I just cross country day trip to Colorado real quick. And it's super cheap. I mean, Spirit Airlines, some of their deals are, you know, I don't want to lose money on this. Like, right, I actually right. waste more money, like, sitting around Michigan for a Saturday. So Yeah, no kidding. One yeah. time I flew Spirit from Denver to San Diego for $19 one way. It was, that was like three years ago. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I couldn't, I couldn't hitchhike that cheap, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't do uh, sponsors or ambassadorships, mm-hmm. uh, but I would, I would wear a spirit shirt for free just because I, I love how, how cheaply and accessibly I can get out to Denver. Uh, but yeah, I would say I, I day trip out there at least once a month. That's uh, wow. a good way to spend a day. Yeah. Now, now, does that get expensive or are you able to- Not with spirit. <laughs> Not with spirit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was like, half the time, you know, especially when you get in the off season, it's, you know, 24, 25 bucks each way. And you don't need to check a bag. Like I just wear what I'm going to wear and mm-hmm. yeah, knock it out. Super cheap. It's only a one day commitment. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. So b- before you did this 10 14ers in a day challenge, you climbed the high points of the lower 48. And now was that with your sister as well? Am I correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. So I, I, wa- I needed a climbing partner right. uh, for four of the first five, j- just to have somebody on a rope team with wh- me. Which ones know. were those? Uh, that would be Rainier and Hood, which we did in the same day. Uh, and wow. we might be the only people to have ever done Rainier and Hood in the same day. Yeah, I found a guy who did Rainier, Hood, and I think Adams in like a 28-hour stretch. So, so I'm not sure and not, not doesn't really matter anyway. But it was kind of cool doing those two. You know, we, we climbed Rainier at sunrise and then summited Hood at sunset. Uh, it was like a four-plus-hour drive in between. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. But, oh you know, gosh. I was thinking about it. Like the, the first five mountains of the lower 48 are the brutal ones. I mean, those are the ones where there's technical skill involved, mm-hmm. uh, really long approaches. So I told my sister, like, look, if you get through the first five with me, the rest of them are more hiking than technical climbing. 
if you can keep up, like break the record with me, like it makes no sense to me for, you know, to have a climbing partner, but then be like, okay, you did all the hard stuff with me. Now just ride in the van while, you know, I get the record. So yeah, she, I, I didn't think she would be able to physically keep up, but she was, she was an animal. Uh, by the end, I would actually argue she was even stronger than me and I might've been slowing her down. Um, but she, she ended up breaking the men's record by four days and the women's record by a month. It, it was cow. crazy. Now is she, does she stay as active as you with this stuff or is it just kind of was on a whim for her? It it was on a whim and, and she was crap. like, <laughs> she was, she's talented. She was a 10 time, you know, all state runner in high school and okay. ran in college. But really, I, I think it was more just spending time with her brother, getting in the great outdoors. Yeah, yeah. For her, it was more of a social family thing, and she just, yeah. Looking back, it, it's it's probably one of the greatest female endurance athlete triumphs I've ever seen, and yet so few people know about it because I, we dude, there's not that much online of your guys's uh, record. Honestly, it's your website, but other than that, you just Google it. There's not that much on there. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we kind of thought about going after sponsors and I sent out a few things to local people, yeah. but no one knew us. Like we were nobody. Yeah. Nobody thought like that could ever happen. So really we just kind of did it like bake sale style where we pre-sold uh, photography that we were going to take along the way. So one of my hmm. crew members for this was my best friend, who's a, a really good photographer. So we were like, okay, let's take pictures, put together a little photography book, like a coffee table book of the mountains of the lower 48. Yeah. And then we sold it for like 30 bucks a pop. And I think we ended up making about seven grand, just kind of bake sale style selling stuff to our friends, like photography related. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that paid for the trip, paid for all the That's gas, awesome. the van rental. So yeah, it was, you know, you see all these people doing like the big stuff and they have all these sponsors who are spending tons of money on social media and getting the word out. And, you know, they've already got their microphones and, you know, that's awesome. But yeah, we, we pretty much just did it, uh, old school bake sale style. That's so good. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of just doing what you can with what you have. I did so many of my first adventures with college, a college budget, because that's where I was. I was in college using my summers and, you know, like 500 bucks to try to get across country on a bike or something like that. It was just and honestly, looking back, when I do trips now, and there's you know a little more money, I don't spend a ton, but I don't know. There's just this level of adventure that's missing from it now because that 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 level of hunger, like physical hunger, or that level of just uncertainty, was so just so awesome looking back. Versus now, it's kind of like, well, I don't have to worry about that. And frankly, a lot of my favorite stories come from having to worry about those basics, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I look at the more complicated an FKT, the more I'm drawn to it because I feel that gives me an advantage, like logistically to make up from the fact that I'm semi-talented and trying to go against guys who are super talented. But but, but even that, like... unknown. That's really cool. Right. Too. So you look at like, you know, climbing a, a 14,000 foot peak in Colorado, you've got so much information you know, you've got 14ers.com, you've got GPX files, you've got Facebook groups where you can ask, you know, what was the weather like yesterday? It's so easy to prepare so well that, that some of that adventure almost is lost to the technology. In fact, I, I had this idea of uh, climbing the highest unclimbed mountain on the earth. 
and, and I can't pronounce it right. It's like sour Zahotsi or something. It's yep. right on the, it's on the Kazakhstan mm-hmm. Chinese border. I just looked like, that up the other day. That's so crazy. Yes. Me. And I'm like, how fun would it be to have no GPS? I literally, you can Google earth it and it looks like the North side is like a giant cliff. So you should probably come from the South. Hmm. Uh, and I actually worked for a tech startup. Um, a few years ago, and there were some, ch- and it was a half Chinese, half American company. So I was asking some of the the Chinese uh, employees we had who are kind of familiar with far uh, Western China, and they're like, "Yeah, that that's kind of a rough part of China. You know, those mountains are controlled sometimes by the Taliban." And I'm like, "Okay, now that that's that got me into it. I'm like, sweet, let's that'll be a real adventure." But wouldn't you know it? My wife was all like, "Yeah, you can't go into Taliban controlled like." Kazakhstan mountains so it's probably for the better (laughs) yeah I got vetoed I guess so (laughs) if you want to get into backpacking but you're not sure where to start go check out campcrate.net campcrate can help you plan the backpacking trip of a lifetime and supply you with all the rental gear you need simply go online and choose your gear and your itinerary campcrate will then ship your gear anywhere in the U.S. When your trip is finished, use the pre-printed return label to ship the gear back. It's that easy. Camp Crate. Rent. Explore. Return. There's a ton of unnamed peaks in Alaska still. I mean, some, a lot of them have been summited, but so many of them are unnamed. I met a guy wanting to climb one of them to name after his father, which was like the coolest <laughs> adventure to me. And... Uh, I guarantee there's tons of them that are unnamed. So, man, that is just so crazy. So that was only three years ago that you did that. And how long did it take? 19 days, you said? Yeah, it took 19 days. Now, did you have kids at that point? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, Yeah, the first one was a little bun in the oven, just starting to, uh, you know, obviously I wanted to get this done before she got into the third trimester and, you know, that kind of crazy stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was a bit of an adventure. you know, for the 14 or one, uh, just this summer, you know, obviously it's more complicated cause I had a almost three-year-old and a almost one-year-old. Wow. Uh, and, and I would say trying to get, um, you know, a, a one and a three-year-old cross country from Michigan to Colorado to acclimate is probably more of an Olympic sport than actual climbing <laughs> 14 ers in a day. Oh man. You know, it's crazy because you, you've got these two, and I mean, they're awesome kids. So I've got these two awesome little boys. Uh, but, but like when you're a parent of that age, it's like you need to drink more, but then you're too busy to drink. So you just kind of like wake up the next morning and you're like, man, I, I should have had a drink, but uh, it's just too crazy the, the night before. Uh, but yeah, bringing them out, it was, we had so much fun. Like my first hikes with my boys, like it, it was uh, acclimating uh, for six days before the attempt was just, oh, wow. it was it was super fun. So we made yeah. it the family vacation and, you know, kind of like what you were saying with, uh, you know, back when you didn't have money and you're on the college budget. But if you if you love this, if you want to find a way, you will. And, it, and it's the same thing with having two little boys. Like, if you really want to do this, like, don't use your kids as an excuse, like bring them out here and take your vacation, you know, to acclimate and hang mm-hmm. out with them. So I'm just a firm believer that you know, if you really love something, like find a way to make it work. Wow. No, that's good advice, man. I, I think we're on that journey soon of starting a family. And yeah, I'd be honest, it definitely scares me a little bit to think, oh man, all this stuff that I love to do, that takes time and money away 
from my wife right now and my dogs. I mean, that's like my whole family. You know, it does scare me that like, dang, you know, this is going to be really hard to do this stuff. Am I never going to be able to do it again? You know, you get all existential and like totally doom and gloom, but it's really good to hear from people like you that are, you know, just a little bit farther down the journey. Um, that say, nah, it's just what you make it, you know? Yeah. And, and the first year is always a transition, you know, especially mm-hmm. when they're, your kid is so young and helpless and they need a hundred percent attention. But, you know, especially if your spouse, you know, in your case, you know, she's such an outdoor loving gal. I, I mean, she's going to support that by the time, by the time your future little one is six weeks old, you'll have a pack that you can just strap on your back and, uh, little baby will just sleep in there while you still get your six mile hikes in. So yeah, I, I have no doubt you'll That's make awesome. it work. Yeah. And honestly, it'd probably be good training. You know, they get heavier over time and just keep carrying them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're going to get stronger the whole time. Yep, yep. That's so cool. So, uh, so yeah, you came out here and acclimated for that trip for six days, um, brought your family with you and h- how much planning did that, that summit of the 14ers, take for you did you do a lot of planning beforehand or did you just kind of wing it yeah so i had actually attempted it the year before really uh, and i yeah i did i did a good amount of planning and, and i think you know i call the the high pointing record the great 48 it was just kind of a cute little nickname we gave I like it that. um you know so we did the lower 48 and, and i think the logistical toughness of of piecing together twelve thousand miles in a minivan you know, I mean, all those peaks are in just random places all over all the states. Yeah. You know, I, I think I felt good about, I thought my advantage was in, in logistics and maybe even got, you know, God forbid the word cocky, but I just felt like, okay, well, if this is my plan. Clearly it's a good one. Uh, so when I went out there last year, um, and failed, um, you know, it, it kind of showed me where all of my problems were. Hmm. Um, I realized quickly that when I'm doing Belford and, um, Oxford, it was just ridiculous not to add Missouri, uh, because then you can skip Quandry, which, you know, is a one-off. So if you're going out there, you may as well knock out two or three at a time because right, if you're right. driving to a separate peak, more elevation gain. Um, so I would actually say I put a lot of time into the first one, failed, then realized, you know, everything I needed to do to get better. Uh, and because of that, uh, that's, I think, why I was successful this time around. Uh, my nutrition was terrible the first time around. Um, you know, starting with Belford and Oxford, I camped, uh, 3000 feet below the peak so that I could eliminate, you know, a one and a half miles of the approach, but still hit the Colorado rule, uh, which if anybody doesn't know what the Colorado rule is, uh, if you're attempting, uh, an FKT or, or fastest known time in Colorado, um, you use the Colorado rule. So you gain and descend 3000 feet. Um, for any group or subgroup of peaks, you know, that way you can't drive to the top of one and say, Hey, I, I climbed it. Right. Um, so I thought that was a good plan, but trying to sleep at 11,200 feet, you know, just, it, it didn't work well for me. I was kind of up all night. Um, so it was a good thought, but I learned that didn't work. Um, and also, you know, that, that was, that's a tough climb going up, uh, Belford to start your day. Um, so I learned a lot from last year. This year I started with Grays and Tories. I acclimated twice as long. You know, I slept at 10,000 feet in a bed, you know, in Silverthorne, um, you know, where I had been acclimating. So I felt like going into it, I was more prepared. Um, starting with Grays and Tories, I think was a big deal because they're probably the easiest. Um, 
beer stat might be if you went up the standard route, but I, I went up the back route. Um, but but kind of easing into my day without killing myself at first. Um, nutrition was big. Uh, you know, this time, anytime I knew I had a climb coming, um, you know, I'd take a goo uh, or some type of, uh, you know, high sugar, high calorie, just to kind of get that energy for that burst. I, I actually did a heart rate monitor the entire way, you know, trying to keep my heart rate, you know, out of that, you know, getting into the maximum aerobic function range, you know, just so I could, you know, prevent lactic acid buildup and really try to go hard, but not too hard for, for 24 straight hours. Uh, so all around, I just think, you know, even, you know, we look at failure as a bad thing, but I couldn't have been as successful this year if I hadn't tried and failed last year. So I think that was a, a huge component. Oh yeah. That's, that's a huge piece of advice too. What, what, how, how did you fail? What did you fail in? Did you not get there in time or did you get hurt? You know, I, I did Belford and Oxford and just went way too hard, you know, trying to hit times, uh, it just wasn't feeling that great. So I, I overcompensated and I fell, you know, 20, 30 minutes behind just after the first two of where I wanted to be. Uh, so by the time we got to the Calibron, um, which is that loop we talked about earlier with Cameron, uh, and the other three, you know, halfway up Lincoln, I'm like, I- I'm just not feeling that great. You know, I, I think I just kind of hit a wall, uh, definitely got my heart rate too high. Uh, so really I just, I didn't pace myself properly. And by the time I got to, um, Evans and Beerstat, uh, that that's where the sawtooth connecting ridge is, which is really a fun, you know, class three climb, you yeah, know, it's it not it's that bad. Yeah, it's great, but it's also probably not where you want to be in a thunderstorm. So, <laughs> so I, you know, there were dark, ominous clouds rolling in. Uh, and to be honest, I, I'm a bit of a risk taker. You know, I, if I was feeling great, I, I would have kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of used the weather as a cop out to be like, look, you know, this isn't smart to be here and, and I'm not feeling good. Uh, but there was no way I would have hit it. Um, I think best case scenario is I would have gotten to Quandary, which was going to schedule to be my 10th peak, you know, right about 24 hours. So, you know, I called it, you know, officially due to weather, if you will, but I, I just wasn't going to make it. I was burned out, went out too hard. And looking back, I was so much stronger after another year of ultra running training. You know, so even that was just huge. But getting my nutrition dialed in. Yeah, there were just so many factors. Straight up, I was unprepared a year ago for what I was trying to do. But, you know, that's why I encourage people to do things you're underprepared for is you'll learn how to prepare. And then the next mm-hmm. year, you can just come back that much stronger. Absolutely. So and it's unfortunate because, you know, when we go through school, you know, we're taught if you get an F, that's the worst thing ever. And, you know, that it kind of just builds this, you know, fear of failure and failure is so bad. Well, you know, if you don't try things, <laughs> you know, you won't ever get them you know, you won't fail, but you won't succeed either. So yeah. So for me, I I just, I have that relationship with failure where I hate it, but I'm not afraid of it at all. Like bring it on. That's, that's how I'll grow. That's how I'll get better. That's awesome, man. So yeah, I've learned a lot lately about the, how close success and failure are to one another. People think they're at opposite ends of the spectrum, but honestly, they're right next to each other across a very, very thin line. Yeah. Every day feels like today was a success, but it was really just so close to failure so much of the time from every trip to every, um, you know, starting a business. You say you're an entrepreneur. I've seen, I'm sure you've seen your fair share of failures. 
you know, maybe not oh, overall, but, but, you know, day to day, week to week. Um, is that something you take into the business world as well? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, I look at the toughest times that, that you've had in business and, and that's where, that's where you grow. That's where you learn. You know, you're, you're not, if you're winning a hundred percent of the time, you're, you're probably not growing a lot. Uh, in fact, and I forget his name, but one of the guys who, who basically pioneered freestyle skateboarding j- just does this crazy stuff. He, he was actually talking about, you know, in the, in the nineties and early two thousands, you know, he was so dominant. I mean, literally all of his skateboarding moves, you know, and I'm not a skateboarder. I, I don't know what these are, but like all the names were of these moves were literally named after him because he, he was, you know, just the godfather of this sport. And he said like, you know, all it got to a point where I just wanted the win and I knew I could skate at 70% and get the win. So it literally got to a point where he decided to just throw all of his trophies away uh, because he'd rather go out there and, and not worry about getting a win just because winning feels good, but actually try to do innovative stuff again. Uh, and that, that message when he was saying it just really hit home where it's, you know, you can get comfortable. Um, even this summer, you know, some of these small, you know, 30, 40 people, regional ultra races that, that are kind of local to your state, you know, I can go in and I can win them without having to go, you know, a hundred percent effort and push myself, you know, beyond my limits. Uh, and you know, it's, it's fun to win. So it feels good. And, and I noticed this summer, you know, I'm signing up for these races because I think I can win these, you know, even if this isn't my a race, um, but there's, there's no growth in that. You know, so I think that's even why I decided to do two ultra marathons this weekend in the same day. You know, it's, you find one in the morning, find one at night and try to push yourself to a new level and you know, you're not going to win. Uh, and I didn't, but you know, that's making me stronger for the future goals of the hundred milers that I want to do, you know, so it lives, it lives in service of what I really want instead of just being a easily orchestrated pat on your back that in no way makes you better. Man. No, that's good. That's good, man. I, uh, <laughs> last summer, foolishly, I look back foolishly. Now I attempted to try to get all the 14ers in one summer and, uh, I was going to bike in between them all. And I got through about a third of it before I just totally, I messed up my knee pretty bad, but the weather was terrible. I was feeling terrible and I felt just so stupid in the moment. Like, God, that is, this is so beyond what I'm capable of. Um, but I look back and I'm like, you know, that's one of my, that's probably my biggest failure, but it's also, I'm really proud of it too. And I really hope I can go out there and, and try again. I don't know when I'll have that time frame open again. Cause that's like a month and a half long endeavor. But, uh, I will say I learned a lot through that and I've had some business stuff fail and, um, no, I really, re- you know, it really resonates what you're saying. You pushing yourself to see what else you're capable of is really just like the marrow of life. You know, it, it's, it feels so good to be in that zone of like, I don't know if I can get this done, but when that feeling of when you actually accomplish that thing, it's, it's, I don't think there's a better feeling that exists. Yeah, absolutely. Nikki Kimball, who's one of the better female ultra runners ever, you know, was going after the long trail FKT, which is 270 miles um, north to south, the whole length of Vermont? the state of Vermont. Yes. Yep, Vermont. Awesome. It's actually the first ever uh, long distance trail in the U.S. I mean, I think they built it in like the 1910s. 
So she was going after the FKT for women and men, like wanted to do the, the fastest time ever. And, and so there's a little documentary on YouTube about it, which is really well done, definitely worth checking out. But towards the end, you know, they kind of ask her, like, why are you doing this? Like, this is an outrageously punishing, brutal, you know, crazy endeavor. And she said something that just hit home with me that was, um, I do not know where the cap to my potential lies. So that is why I run. And so to me, I was like, yes, that is exactly why I do what I do is I want to find out where is the cap to my potential? You know, can I do this? And quite frankly, if I can't, you know, when I failed at the 14 er record last year, I mean, what, what's bad about that? I mean, if somebody wants to criticize me because I only climbed six 14 ers that day, like, <laughs> um, you know, first off, I think we could have a lot of conversations uh, about the type of person who would criticize that, but right. you know, it's weird. We, we kind of make that up in our mind that somehow people are going to think we did something you know, like, oh, you failed, you didn't make it. And and people don't think that way. You know, it's, you just got to go for it. Dude, I totally agree. You know, um, the guy with the fastest known time for all the 14ers um, was a stay-at-home dad for like 15 years. He tempted it before kids, did nothing when he while he was raising kids, and then just out of nowhere, came out of nowhere at 40 years old to do it again and just crushed it. And, uh, you know, he, and he had failures along the way, but dude, that guy is a huge inspiration. Yeah. In fact, he actually did get the record in 1999. That's right. Yeah. And then, yep. And then cave dog beat him, I think 2001. And then his record lasted forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Andy, I believe tried it the year before and had to back out due to injury. And then the second time That's he came right. out, you know, lowered it by almost a day, a record that people just thought could, people weren't even. For over a decade, nobody even tried to break that record because it was just so daunting. And, and Cave Dog, I mean, he had so many FKTs in the 2000s, and he, he took three years, three years just to scout and get every last. His, his meticulous nature like impresses me. <laughs> the logistics side of me is like, yes, that guy had it. He, he found a dime in his pack after he set that Colorado 14ers FKT and actually did an analysis on how much extra effort he had to exert over the course of 330 miles in 11 days. Um, you know, so he was just that prepared oh that gosh. even, you know, even one extra ounce in his pack, he was like, unbelievable that I wasted 70,000 pounds of pressure over, you know, 11 days and, um, you know, 330 miles. So I, I think it takes that mindset to go after some of these things where one, you're not a, afraid to fail but you're willing to look at it in ways nobody's ever seen it and, and that's i think that's what andrew did such a good job at it his 14 is is he's done these so many times he knows every rock on those mountains i mean i'm sure he doesn't know every rock but i look at that as being like geez everything he does is is so meticulous and so well planned that that it's impressive yeah i'll be honest i'm not anything like that <laughs> i'm kind of <laughs> like uh, I find a t-shirt somewhere that I really like. Ah, I'll just throw it in my pack. Ah, here's a rock I really like. I'll just, you know, see if I can keep this or something. You know what I mean? I'm really, uh, I don't care a whole lot, but I'm not also going after fastest known times. So that brings me, um, to a point. So you seem to really like FKTs. Is that what motivates you the most versus just going out and experiencing something just to be there? I, I actually don't think those things are in any way exclusive. Uh, you know, to me, 
what I want to do more than anything is spend time out in awesome places. Yeah. But I also have just this competitive side that wants to get out there. So, you know, when I do the 14ers or the great 48, you know, there's always somebody who's like, oh, but I bet you didn't take time to enjoy it. You know, and I'm mm. like, well, how, how long do I have to sit at the summit for you to think I enjoyed it? Like I got to see like awesome things literally from the second the sun, you know, started to, you know, rise in the east all the way till it set in the west. I mean, that's a whole day of nothing but looking around and seeing these awesome things, you know, from the valleys and from the summits of 10. So I, I think what really started getting me into FKTs or, or just going fast and setting a personal record, um, you know, every January uh, for work, I head down to Scottsdale for a, a trade show. And so I just kind of make it a pilgrimage to go early uh, and go rim to rim in the Grand Canyon and just wow. see what I can do. Right. I mean, God knows uh, I'm not coming anywhere near Jim Walmsley's record. You know, if I can make it one way as fast as he makes it across and back, like I'm doing pretty good for myself. Mm. Um, but but for me, it's more of a personal thing. Like, am I growing? Am I getting faster? Am I getting stronger? So uh, I do think uh, there's a certain romance to towing the line of an fkt you know when you when you do an ultra race or a marathon or, or whatever your thing is in the moment like there's camaraderie with all the other contestants you're racing that day uh and that's fun too but there's just something about you know going up to a, a group of mountains or going up to a john muir trail starting line and, and just knowing you're about to race everybody who ever you know raced this in the history of time um you know that to me it, it's just for lack of a better word, it's romantic. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah. you and your thoughts and who you are trying to do something, but it's against everyone ever. Yeah, I don't know. For me, that's just a, a romantic thought. And I, and I just love being in those places too. So put it all together. And uh, yeah, I don't think I'll stop anytime soon. By now, you certainly know who Bent Gate is. That's for a great reason. Bentgate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning, and we really appreciate that. They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there, too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. Honestly, at the very least, it gets you out there. Yeah. I mean, worst case scenario is you spent all day in the Colorado mountains. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like, like this isn't, this isn't uh, you know, a bad, you know, if-then situation. It's either going to be a really good day or the best day ever. Right. You know, I, I heard someone tell me about that. I was asking this lady that's an ultra runner, and I'm like, you know, do you, do you feel like you just go through places too quick? Because I'll be honest, I'm... I'm pretty content with just walking through somewhere. And if I'm going somewhere new and I only have time to see some viewpoints, I, I just love looking at a beautiful scene of nature. I don't care 
if I get to, I mean, I'd love obviously to backpack it or, or to go out there and experience it deeper, but if that's all I have time for, I'm pretty stinking content. But I was talking to this ultra runner and she was like, you know, I just feel so alive when I get to move through it at a pace that's challenging. Like I feel like an animal, like I feel like this wild side of me gets to be unleashed and it's like a, just such a deeper experience. And I was like, wow, that really, really makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Like you're breathing heavy. You, you've got this, almost this pleasurable pain going on inside you of, of this struggle and you're out there at the same time. It's, it's much more, I don't know, purposeful maybe than, than just, uh, leisurely strolling through it for some people. And I feels like you're one of those people. Yeah. If you could actually introduce us via Facebook, I'd like to be her new best friend. <laughs> yeah. She was on the show actually. So I, I will. <laughs> yeah. That pretty much sums it up perfectly. You know, obviously I would enjoy those places. And I, I say I have three modes when I go out into the mountains. You know, I've got wife mode, which is who cares if we make the summit? I'm just hanging out with people I care about. And it's about quality time with family or with friends, you know, and then I've got, you know, bro mode, which is when I'm taking people who it's like, look, we're here for the socialization, but we're going to make the summit. Hmm. You know, you're strong. I'm strong. Like, you know, this, we are going to get up there. Right, right. We're going to get the summit and we're still going to have a good time. And then there's just, you know, the beast mode where it's like, I need to be alone. I'm just going to rage in these mountains today and I'm going to see as much as I can see uh, and love every minute of it. Uh, You know, so I've got all these different modes. I certainly do it slower, but for something, you know, just like, you know, the girl you mentioned, you know, when you can add some level of achievement into it, um, you know, for my personality, that just that enhances Mm -hmm. the experience, not takes it away. Uh, And I'm just I'm not the type of guy that can sit on a summit for an hour and a half like you know, once my peanut butter and jelly is gone, you know, and we're 12 minutes in, it's like, sweet, where to next? Right, right. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just understanding that everyone has a different level of uh, enjoyment and optimal enjoyment for their experience. I personally don't, I don't love to run, but I have plenty of times in the past done events that involve lots of running marathons and stuff. But I don't know. It's just different for everybody. And so it's, it's just nice to have that mutual respect. And also it's nice for people like you to have those modes to involve friends and family that just aren't going to feel that way. And, uh, that's important. And I think a lot of people don't realize like, yeah, that guy's running past you on the trail. That doesn't mean this is all this person is, you know, if he had his kids out here, he wouldn't be doing this. Don't get mad at him. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's fine. That's true. Yep. 100% agree. So between the lower 48 and the 10 uh, summits, which which trip would you consider hardest? I know that's hard to determine, but go for it. You know, I'd I'd have to say 10 in a day was harder because there was just a whole lot more physical exertion um, over the course. I mean, there were a few short commutes between mountains. Yeah. but really for, for 20 hours that day, you know, I was going hard, you know, I was either power hiking up really steep areas or I was running down as fast as I could. So, I mean, it's just, you know, your heart rate is, is up and you're working hard for, for just 23, 20 of 23 straight hours. So as far as just the sheer physicality, that, that was probably worse. Um, but the great, 40, one of the interesting things about great 48 is, 
you know, you'd climb one mountain and you didn't have to do it that fast. I mean, the record wasn't, you know, incredibly fast. It was just logistically complicated, you know, so we, we didn't have to do a ton of running. It was more like, okay, let's, let's keep up a pace, but just, you know, hike it at a good pace and then go on to the next one. Um, so really with grade 48, it almost became more mental. You get to, you know, you get to the Midwest where most of the state high points are, you know, you can drive up close to them. And the rule, really the only rules, if you will, for high pointing are you can go where the road takes you. So, you know, if the road goes to within a mile of the, the you know, summit and you're just hiking a mile and hiking back, you almost start to dread getting back in the car. Um, we actually had, yeah, we actually, (laughs) oh, there was one point where we drove over a thousand miles five days in a row. So it, it almost became more of a mental stamina than a physical one, you know, after those first eight days were over, you know, so it, they were different challenges. You know, obviously there was this social aspect, um, to the great 48 where it's my sister, who's my climbing partner, you know, my best friend who was a photographer. And then my dad was the other crew member. Hmm. Um, so in that case, you know, it was also just, you know, there's a certain experience with people that's really awesome. You know, I love going out into nature by myself and and just being able to think, you know, I think there's a lot of merit and good from doing some things solo and being out there solo, but, you know, inversely, you know, you got to get out there with people too. So, you know, they they were just such different experiences, um, in in every way, but, but as far as just consecutive, um, just effort and fatigue, uh, the 10 was definitely harder. Wow. No, that makes sense. I, I can imagine that lower 48, man. I didn't really think about that, but the Midwest, that had to be tough. And not, not to mention, I, I'm from Florida. Dude, how was that uh, Britain Hill in Florida? 360 yeah, it, feet or something? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like 375. You know, we walk up to it in flip-flops. You know, and it was, it was fun because it was the 10-day anniversary of when we did Rainier and Hood together. So we had this cool, like, uh, photo collage of, uh, cause that day had so many driving. We actually only got two peaks that day, uh, when we were out East kind of driving in between. Um, so we have that picture showing, Hey, you know, here's us doing Rainier and hood in the same day. And then here's us doing like the high point of Florida and Alabama in the same day, oh which are gosh. like literally like a walk up mountains. It was kind of funny. Yeah. I think, I don't even think the hill in Florida is the high point of that hill. I think it just cuts off at the border. From what I've heard, I've had a friend who's from the West, who's done, who's a mountaineer. He he put on all his mountaineering gear and hiked up to the top of the Florida high point as a joke. <laughs> it was ridiculous. He looked like he was going to summit Everest. It was really funny, but um, he's like, yeah, man, it just cut off at the border. The hill just keeps going, but you, it's not the high point because it's in a, a Alabama at that point. <laughs> yep. And it's the same way with um, Massachusetts. Uh, you actually right at the state border is the official marker. Uh, so in in good faith and good sport, because the people before us had done it, we we did climb the summit of the mountain, even uh, though it was okay. in the other state. Yeah. Uh, but we do have our our pictures at the official state line, which is officially the highest point of that state. That's too. So yeah, it's always same thing with Nevada when you're on Boundary Peak. You know the the connecting saddle goes to a higher mountain in California. So and that's what's fun about high pointing is you know it's just for fun like you'd go places in a state you normally wouldn't go oh i can imagine i bet you saw things that you never think you'd see (laughs) yes yes absolutely go to a lot of places that you have no other reason to go yep in fact the the high point of missouri or mississippi 
like you actually park right next to a cemetery and a church and then walk. It's, it's, it's weird. You're just like, what are we doing here? This is weird, but yeah, it's fun. That's hilarious. So that's incredible. So that, that lower 48 trip is really cool. Any aspirations to do the other two high points in the States? You know, I, I've kicked around the idea, but high pointing, you know, as much as I love, you know, that that's how I got into it. You know, the current record for the 50 states just got broken by a pretty popular climber, but he took a helicopter everywhere, like in between the states. And that, that kind of takes some of the ambition out of it is like, okay, if we're just going to, like, if we're just taking helicopters in between now, like at this point, this isn't even, you know, doable. You know, <laughs> Honestly, you have access right, to a helicopter. Like, <laughs> yeah, know. exactly. It's like, you know, I, I want to go out there and actually get the sport out of it and the, the spirit of competition. And, you know, so unfortunately, you know, I look at that as kind of a negative and, you know, to each their own, it's all the journey. You know, I look at that as one of the best three weeks of my life, this epic story I can tell forever. Um, you know, and this guy has the same story that he can tell, you know, it's his experience and, you know, he can talk about how his sponsors bought him a helicopter and he got all these cool helicopter rides and, you know, and that's fantastic to each their own. Like, uh, but yeah, for me, it's just kind of, you know, not my thing. I'm more into like the ultra running. Yeah, I do. I do really think I want to go after the unsupported Colorado 14ers record, which is 16 and a half days, uh, for all 58. Uh, but other than that, I'm just getting more and more into not even using vehicles at all. You know, the, the 10 14ers in a day, you know, you do have to drive three times to kind of link up mountain ranges. And now, did you do that driving or did someone help you? Uh, I did have a crew. Yep. It was fully supported. Uh, I hiked most of the time solo, uh, but they did kind of help, you know, drive around just so I could relax and rest right, uh, right. between the ways. And, and that's fun. Like, I love it. Everything I've done has been supported. Um, but yeah, in the future, I think I might try to go a little more pure, you know, just kind of unsupported, be out there, do my thing. So I will say though, I, I really enjoyed you updating your page constantly. Cause I was updating <laughs> my phone like, Oh, where is he now? I'm like, dang, this is great. I'm glad that he has a driver so that he can, you know, update us on what he is on the route. So that was, that was actually really fun to keep up with. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was fun to actually have service, you know, up on a lot of those peaks. So it's that surprising. Was... But you do have service a lot of the places out here. Oh, yeah. I was going to say the spot tracker is really nice, too. Mm. I mean, now that that's kind of standard, you use it as, you know, people can literally see where you are within five minutes. Uh, so that was that was a lot of fun, too. Yeah, I kept updating that, too, because, I, I, yeah, I, I followed you on the spot tracker, too. So, yeah, so congratulations on that again. Thank and you. And what you were saying before, kind of what you're moving into, I'd I love to know what's next on your list. What do you got kind of brewing, um, thinking about? So a lot of what I want to do with FKTs in the future are some of the bigger, um, more profile, longer ones. Like, I'd love to go after Long Trail. Um, you know, the Colorado trail looks super fun to try and see how quickly I could do that. You know, the JMT, I do want to see how fast I can go. Although after Francois did like what, two out, two days, 16 hours. I mean, that's, you know, that, that might be out of FKT reach, but still like, it'd be fun just to see how fast I could do the JMT. Mm. Um, so I, I figure the best way to train for that is just really start to get into hundred mile ultras. Um, so I'm doing a lot of, uh, training, you know, I've got the tunnel Hill 100 coming up in a few weeks. Um, and that's more of a flat one, uh, but eventually we'll add some more mountainous stuff into it. Um, you know, cause obviously in the, in the Midwest, I can at least run, even if it's not the hilliest terrain. Um, whereas, you know, I kind of lack, you know, 
being able to have a mountain to just go up up and down. So, so yeah, I, I'm definitely going to just concentrate on trying to be the best ultra runner I can. Um, and then hopefully that I can parlay all that additional miles into some, you know, three, 400 mile FK attempts like Colorado trail, long trail, that type of stuff. Wow. Awesome. And so I assume you have uh, a job that allows you to the flexibility to, to pursue all this. Yeah. So I'm, I'm VP of marketing, um, for, a for a company that's right on the Michigan, Indiana border and, and they're very supportive of it. So, you know, I can take lunch breaks and do a workout. Uh, I have a remote work from home day, so I can do a long run, you know, early in the morning that day. Um, and that really helps balance it out with family too. So even though I'm, you know, running, you know, 10, 12 hours a week, you know, when you actually look at what I'm able to do around work or, or on lunch breaks or with remote flex time, you know, it works out I'm probably actually only away from family during family hours, you know, maybe an hour or two a week. So it makes it very doable. Uh, to actually have that balance. Yeah, no kidding. You shared this little graphic earlier this year, earlier this summer, of what basically your year in a picture. <laughs> and dude, I was blown away by everything you accomplished. So, you know, in closing, you know, apart from finding the right kind of job that allows you this freedom and, uh, you know, finding the people around you that support you, and what's some of your advice for, for folks that want to get into this or folks that want to still pursue their passions, even though they're pursuing kind of the, the, the traditional milestones in life? You know, the, the two big things I would say is, one, if there's a will, there's a way. I mean, I know that's one of the oldest expressions in the world, um, but just there's always a way to figure out how to do what you want. Like, we all have our priorities, right? Um, and if your number one priority is, you know, your family and you've got young kids, like you're never going to miss that. You know, I, I look at how many times I've missed, you know, dinner with my two young kids or putting them to bed. And it's probably, you know, maybe 10 times in the last year, you know, just because I was out traveling for work or, or elsewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, so for me, that 530 to 730 time is sacred and, and I plan everything around it. Uh, but so is my long run you know, every Friday morning I do a long run. And if I've got to get up earlier, I will. If I've got to, you know, set a meeting for a different time, I will. So, so if you make it a priority, like you will get it done. I mean, it's just a matter of whether or not you want it to be the priority. Uh, and then the second thing I would say is, is something I really try to tell everybody is just, you know, reimagine your relationship with failure because we're just trained that failure is bad. And that's just not true. Like you will grow 10 times more in failure than you will in success. Uh, so learning to embrace it and, and put it this way, I don't like failure. I hate failure, um, but I'll embrace it and learn from it. And I think that makes me better. Um, so, you know, make what you want to in life a priority and don't lament the things that aren't. Uh, and then just don't be afraid to give it all you've got uh, because we, we all fail. No, no one's getting out of here with a perfect record. Nobody gets out of life alive. You know, grow, learn, try something. You know, I'm sure there'll be people that criticize you if you try something big and bold and say, hi, I knew you couldn't do it. So what? You know, those, those people aren't worth it anyway. And, the, you know, like I said, with uh, trying the 14ers last year, you know, if somebody really wanted to criticize me because I only climbed six 14ers, you know, that day, I mean, go ahead. I, I don't think you ever climbed six in a day. You know, it's it's weird that, you know, but we have that feeling like I had that feeling. I'm like, oh, man, like, you know people could criticize this, criticize that, you know, forget it, like take chances, life's short, you know, be smart about it, but, but don't be afraid to go after ambitious goals because I assure you, if you don't, you never will. Absolutely, man. You, you will be afraid to fail 
and someone that's afraid to fail probably won't do anything too notable. Yep. Um, so you heard it from, from here, guys. Get out there and fail, all of you. Go do something and fail. Because <laughs> I 100% agree with you, man. You got to keep going after things that stretch you, that break you down. Because, you know, the, the, these mountains, all they are are a bunch of broken rocks. You know, in a way, they're failures. But sure. we go out there, we love them, we enjoy them. They're, they're honestly just constantly falling apart. But for some reason, we're drawn to them. So, Josh, I want to thank you for being on the show, man. This was awesome. Yep, I loved it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, uh, until next time, guys, get out there and fail. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and be sure to tell all your friends about the show. Everybody deserves a little adventure. Until the next episode, get out there and try something new.